book of Acts. Go with me to chapter number 20, the book of Acts, chapter number 20. One day I was reading my devotions and Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 really jumped out at me and this has been several, several weeks ago now um, and it became a verse that um, God really just touched my life with and I've kind of made it my, you know, you hear people that they have life verses um, if I would say that, what is my life verse currently? What what is it? It's this one right here, and I'll sign it to emails and things like that. Um, but it wasn't the right time to preach it, and tonight is the right time to preach it. And so, tonight I want us to look at, at Acts chapter twenty, and we're going to look at verses twenty-two uh, through twenty-four. Uh, let's pray. I'm going to give some introductory statements, and then we will get into this. Lord, I love you. I thank you, God, for uh, Jesus, his death on the cross. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful that my sin has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And God, that through faith, uh, Lord, in Christ, Lord, anyone who calls on your name can be saved. I thank you, God, uh, for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. Lord, I'm thankful that we can walk in newness of life, that, Lord, we are freed from sin. Uh, Lord, death does not have a hold on us, and that one day Christians will dwell eternally with you. God, we thank you for the promises of Scripture. We thank you for the hope we have through Christ. God, we ask your blessing over your word uh, to us tonight. Lord, help us to leave challenged. Uh, Lord, to leave with something that we can hold on to that can uh, help us become more and more who you desire us to be. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would dare, dare say that 100% of us in the room know what today is. Today is Valentine's Day. And uh, hopefully you have said that to your sweetheart. Um, happy Valentine's Day to your sweetheart. Love motivates. You know, today is a day where we celebrate the love we have uh, for our Valentine. Love motivates a lot of what we do. Love call, Would you agree with this? Love causes us to act in ways that we've never acted before. That's a true statement. You remember some of the crazy things you were motivated to do because of the love that you had for who is now your spouse. You know, the love you had when you were dating drove you to do some crazy things. You know, see, my friends knew when I was talking to Amanda. They just knew. They didn't have to be around me. They just knew when I was talking to Amanda because of the way love made me act. How about when you propose to your spouse? You know, some do some crazy things when they propose, when they pop the question uh, to their, the one they are engaged to. Um, I remember the love, that love motivated me to plan in a way I'd never planned before. I mean, I wanted it to be just this magnificent night, and uh, we, we had it, uh, we can still watch it to this day, because I had it filmed and everything, you know. You know, and so, you know, I, I did things I had never done. You know, went, went to a friend's house, and, and we, we filmed this, this introductory video, and then uh, we had things lined up. I had talked with the steakhouse, and they had put a poem in, her, her, in our menus. Um, they had had our table ready. Flowers were there. Um, she knew something special was going on. We walked in the door. Even the music they played 
was excellent for the occasion. And um, love motivates us to do some, some things that we haven't done before. Love is a motivator. Even the unpleasant things of life, love motivates us. You know what motivates a parent to change a dirty diaper? <laughs> they love their kid. Because I tell you, there's sometimes you don't want to do it. <laughs> but love motivates you to change it. So the question as we think about the title for tonight's message is motivated by love. What motivates you? What motivates you? What is the driving force behind everything you do in your life? Can you identify your motive, why you do what you do? Can you identify your motive for why you're here right now? Why you're gathered right now? Is it love or is it duty? See, if anything other than love and gratitude for the, to the Lord, anything other than those two things motivate us, then all that we do is vain. Everything we do is vain. Because if we're motivated by duty, eventually we get wore out and we get frustrated with it all. Love has to be the motivating factor. To walk in the perfect will of God, we must be motivated by love and gratitude for what God has done for us. In Acts chapter 20, I want you to look at verse 22 with me this evening as we begin our text tonight. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul had spent three years in Ephesus teaching and building up the church of Ephesus. He left and spent the winter in Corinth. And he is now on his way to Jerusalem. And he sends for the elders of the church and he proceeds to give them his last words. And he tells them that he will never see them again. The Apostle, uh, since he was forgiven much... He knew how to love much. In fact, Paul was motivated, we're going to see very clearly, and if you understand anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, that the, his motivating factor for life was his love for Almighty God and the life-changing experience he had on the road to Damascus. His life had been changed. Hey, look, are you thankful tonight that through the love of God, your life has been changed through Jesus Christ? If you've repented, believed the gospel, you have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. He was forgiven much and therefore loved much. Like if we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we've been forgiven much. Somebody say amen. You and I have been forgiven. Therefore, we too should love much. New God is still purifying us all, myself and you all. He's purifying your motives. He's purifying the desire of your heart. But I can say this for, for me personally, that in my life and ministry as a pastor, loving my wife, my kids, my family, the motivating factor of my life most of the time is love. I'm motivated by the love God has for me. 
My life has been changed by that, and it motivates every area of my life. Tonight in our text, we see five things that motivated Paul because of his love for God. I want you to notice five things that Paul was compelled to do. He was motivated to do because of his love for God. And I I hope these things will challenge us also. The first thing is this, is that love motivates us to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Love motivates us to live in obedience. In verse 22 it says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, bound by the Spirit. Bound by the Spirit. He said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Now, after all that Paul had been through in his walk with Jesus, he came to this understanding. This understanding was, I have no choice but to obey. I have no choice but to obey. I am under an obligation to obey. His his understanding was this, I can't do anything else. Paul, what he knew was obedience to Christ. He knew it was what should uh, drive his life. And the word bound in our text, it means a strong sense of responsibility. Paul was submissive to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5 uh, and verse 18, it says this. Y'all know the verse well. Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But what does it say? Be, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. You see, this is the understanding that all of us need. This is the understanding that you and I need to live with, that I must live controlled by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit guides us, it directs us, it, as, uh, it protects us as we obey Him. The Holy Spirit, we must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Can I ask you a question? And Look, think about this with me. What has God called you to do? What has God given you, called you to do? And then another question we have to examine is this. Am I passionate about obeying Christ? Is obedience to Him what I know to be the only way? That's the only option. That's the way Paul lived his life. It was, that was it. The option was obey Christ or rebel. His option was obey Christ or rebel. What is your options there? Are you passionate about your obedience? Is your obedience out of your love for Christ? Are the things you do motivated by your love for Jesus, or is it out of religious duty? Hey, look, life's a lot more fun when you you get to do stuff than when you have to do stuff. Isn't that true? Same is true spiritually. It's a wonderful experience when I get to go to church, and I don't have to be here. It's a wonderful experience when I get to preach, not I have to preach. You know, and so God, there's a difference there in the motivation. One is religious duty, the other is love for Christ. Allow the love of Christ to motivate you to obedience. Here's the second thing this text teaches us. Love motivates us to take risk for the sake of the gospel. Love motivates us to take risk for the sake of the gospel. Now look at the last part of verse 22. Look, don't miss this. He says, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Watch this next phrase. 
not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen to me there. If you're like me, you like to have details, don't you? You just don't like to go you know, shoot in the dark and you, know, you want to look up hotel reviews and all this kind of stuff before you stay somewhere. That's just true. Um, I remember when, when family was coming to town and, and every bo- hotel room was booked and they somehow they ended up, they told me they stayed at the day's end. <laughs> I said, bless your heart. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> you should have let me know. <laughs> You know, I mean, we want to know kind of what we're getting into. Well, Days Inn in Lincoln is not like other Days Inns, if you get my drift. And so uh, they got through it. Uh, they're still alive. But we like, to have, we like to have details. Look, Paul had no idea. He had no idea what would happen to him as he traveled to Jerusalem. He had no idea what was waiting on him. And this is true of you and I in our life of faith. We have no idea what will happen as we step out on faith in this life. God has called all of us here, and I'm going to expound on this, to take risk for the sake of the gospel. He's called us all to be risk takers. He has. That's what faith is. It's a risk. But if we truly love God and we trust Him, we're going to be motivated, listen, to trust Him with every decision, with every direction He leads us in our life. Our faith and our trust must be in the Lord. Look, when I think of having faith that really trusts God, no, I mean, just no matter what, my mind often goes to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the Old Testament. These boys that trusted God in the midst of such incredible corruption, the faith they exhibited, even though they were cast into the fiery furnace for disobeying the order. Here's what they said. These young men said, God can deliver us. Well, that right there is a statement of faith. Knowing that they were sentenced to death, they believed God could still deliver them. They said, God can deliver us, but notice what they said. They said, God can deliver us, but if He doesn't, we will what? We will not bow down. Would you all agree with me? That's a little bit risky to take that kind of a stand. In the face of that kind of pressure, let me ask you tonight, everyone here tonight, what would your stand be? Would you be willing to risk your life in that kind of a way for the sake of the Lord? They had faith that trusted in God. Look, we need to look for things to do in our lives that are so awesome that they are doomed to failure unless God intervenes. You see, the challenge we often have, though, is, is we, we like things easy. We, we like things safe. You know, in the church, we get really comfortable with the way everything stays and is. You know, you walk into some churches. I'm on the mission board for North Carolina, and we were visiting a church that needs revitalization. Now, now I want you all to listen to me. This church is in desperate need of help. Okay? They're in a populated area, a well-populated area. You walk into this church, you take about, you just take a step back in about three decades ago. Down about 10, 15 people. Suggestions were made as the board met and, and we, we talked about things. But because they like their little, they're willing to let things die. 
because they don't want to take a risk. Things seem too risky. You see, we live in a, a very dire spiritual age where people are so comfortable in their, in their safety. People are, are, are comfortable in their, in, their, in their homes and in their lives. They don't want to take a risk for the sake of the gospel. Who would say here tonight, you know, in your life, maybe your personality, things in your past, like, I'm a risk taker. I'm the one that would be a risk taker. I was not that kid most of the time. I usually played it safe. Has anybody ever been in pain because you took a risk? Anybody? Been in pain? Yeah, Lanny, I see your hand. Been in pain because you took, you took a risk. Some of us are, are probably lucky to be alive because, <laughs> because of the risk we took. I was feeling confident in myself when I was about 13, and I, I got a new 10-speed bike, and the church in our neighborhood had mounds of gravel. They were graveling the parking lot. I guess they were about three or four feet high. Friends were around. <laughs> Man, I took off. I took off. I hit one of those mounds. You know, I, I hit that mound. I caught some excellent airtime, y'all. I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was fantastic. You know, you could almost kind of, you know, when you hit that mound, you catch that airtime, you know, the song they play in, uh, what is it, Top Gun? <laughs> you know, you just kind of start hearing it in your head, you know, as you're taking this risk. When I hit the ground, my feet flew off the pedals. I landed on the crossbar. And I talked like this for about two weeks. <laughs> I mean, it was the most painful experience of that year. I'm telling you, it was rough. That's the, that's the, that's the memory I have of, of taking that risk. It was painful. See, taking risks certainly can be painful. But spiritually speaking, listen, God has called all of us to be risk takers. I mean, think about this. Think about the risk it was for Noah to do what he did. He risked being crazy. I mean, he thought he was. I saw an awesome shirt the other day in a Christian bookstore. Do you realize that there are still Christian bookstores in the world? I was in one the other day. It was out of town. It's about an hour and a half out of town, but I was there. And I had a shirt that said, it was a black shirt, had uh, white letters on it. It said, Noah was a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm like, that's, pretty, that's a pretty cool shirt. He took a huge risk in having faith and trusting God to build this boat. How about Moses? Hey, y'all realize Moses had a nice life. He had a nice life before he pursued the will of God and the call of God on his life. He left his nice life to lead people out of bondage, which led to a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of depression that, that overcame Moses and, and different struggles he had. How about the disciples? Do you believe it's risky to leave everything and follow Jesus? They left it all and followed him. Look, how about the widow? As I was studying, I went to the, my mind went to the widow who gave everything she had. Do you believe it was risky for her to give everything she have, has in the treasury? Yeah, it was risky. The lady who had an issue of blood had been to doctor after doctor, had found no help. She decided to leave her house, which was a huge risk. And that culture in that time was a huge risk for this lady. But she decided to leave her house. She left her home. She worked her way through the crowd just so she could touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because she needed healing. 
You see, there are things that, that are on the other side of the wrist that we just can't see yet. It may be healing for some of us. It may be new, new areas of, of joy for, for the rest of us. Maybe new areas of ministry and opportunity that God has waiting, but we have to take a risk to get there. You see, we will never experience the fullness of God's purpose for our lives. Nobody in this room will experience the fullness of everything that God intends for you until you learn to trust Him enough to take a risk. When you take that risk, watch what He does. <laughs> Look, if you like taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. To never take a risk certainly leads to many regrets. To take no risk only leads to a wasted life. I like what I read earlier. You don't want your tombstone to read one day, played it safe. God's not called us to play it safe. I think many of us have been playing it safe for far too long. That's why we don't witness. Because we're scared to take that risk. We're scared to talk to that person because we like them, they like us, and we think, you know, if I bring up Jesus, they may not like me anymore. So it's too risky, therefore we do not do it. Often, we are often uh, so concerned about the risk and so controlled by our fear of the risk that we are willing to let someone die and go to hell over it. Often we are so concerned about, about the, the way things are, how much we like and how cushy and comfortable everything is, that we, are un, that we don't want to risk having people who make us uncomfortable apart or within our congregation or, or whatever. So we just, we're willing, seriously, to let people die and go to hell because we are not willing to take a risk. How sad. How sad. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, to risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. To risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. We're in his hands. And I can trust him with the risk. Look, love should motivate us to risk, to take risk for the sake of the gospel. Number three tonight, love motivates us to live above our circumstances. Notice what Paul said. He says in verse 22, he says... I'm on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Now look at verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. You see, some of us right there, we might, we just are, I'm turning around. <laughs> you know? I mean, bonds and afflictions await me. Hold on a second. Let me stop. Let's, let's, let's turn around. Let's go the other direction. Not Paul. Not Paul. Look at verse 24. He says, but I, can, I do not consider, he said, my life of any account as dear to myself. Your translation may read, but these things don't move me. These things don't move me. You know, Paul was motivated by his love for Christ to live above his circumstances. I love the hymn. How many are thankful for the hymn still? I still love the old hymns. Call me old-fashioned, but I do. Um, sadly, a lot of the songs today, there are some. There are some we sung one tonight. It's a newer song, got great theology in it. Love that song. But sadly, a lot of the music today is shallow and does not have the theological depth that some of the hymns do. I love the hymn, it is well. 
Because Horatio Spafford, through tragedy in his life, he learned to live above his circumstances. Just like Paul. He lost his family. Y'all remember the story of the death, the tragedy that befell him. And that's where these words come from. Knowing peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. He knew what it meant to live above the circumstances. He could say it as well, even through the tragedy and the death of his children. It is well with my soul. Look, what is the answer? Because many of us in our life, here's what happens to most, most people today. Don't live above their circumstances, they live below them. Most people are, are, are living controlled by their circumstances. It rules your life. It enslaves you. Leaves you miserable. Look, our circumstances is what leads to a lot of our depression and anxiety and worry. All the stuff that we battle that we often need medicine for. And a lot of times there, there's a, there is a need for that. But we're controlled by the circumstances of life. And so what is the answer to living above my circumstances? To not living below them. To not allowing them to enslave me. How do I do that? Look at Philippians chapter 4. Go to Philippians 4 with me quickly tonight. We're almost finished. Philippians chapter 4. You know this passage well. Philippians 4. And begin looking at verse 11. Now look what Paul says again in in trying circumstances, difficult circumstances. He says, not that I speak from want, verse 11. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Now, I'll stop here and ask a question. Can I say, is that true of me? Have I learned like Paul to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in? And keep in mind, he's writing from, from prison here. So even in prison, he says, I've learned to be content. And then verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with, with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, church, these three verses, that's how we live above circumstances. We recognize the goodness of God even when life is not so good. We recognize that even when life isn't so good in the context of that chapter, verse 13, we often can pull that out and use it for whatever in life to motivate us to, to, to get a job or, 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 or in my case as a little leaguer to hit a home run. I would quote that to myself. You know? But in the context, it is talking about, look, God, I can do all things through God, through Christ who gives me strength. Even pers- persevere in the toughest of circumstances. It's He who strengthens me. See, that's how we live above circumstances, recognizing God is good even when life is not, recognizing He is my strength even when I'm suffering, when I'm weak, He is strong. There was a man walking through a cemetery at night when he fell into an open grave. Man, can you imagine that? A tragic circumstance. Falling into into an open grave. 
he jumped and clawed at the walls and tried everything he could to get out of the hole. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, this is interesting. He didn't see the old man crouched in the darkness at the other end of the grave. The guy finally spoke up and said, there's no way to get out of here. I've tried all night. <laughs> Upon hearing that voice from the other end of the grave, that man got out. <laughs> I mean, that was a motivating factor to get above his circumstances. Look, a grave is just a rut with both ends closed up. Many Christians today find themselves in a rut. Many Christians today find themselves in a rut. How do we get out of the rut? There's no, there's no, look, this is not a profound answer. How do I live with joy and meaning and purpose and fulfillment in my life again of faith? How do I get out of this rut? Well, look, we choose to trust the Lord. We choose to put our trust in Him. We tell God, Lord, I surrender. And when you tell God, I surrender, go ahead and throw in there, Lord, I surrender my pride. I surrender my self-dependence. I surrender my selfish attitude. I'm yours. When we decide to surrender to Him, we can get out of the rut. I've heard people say, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Church, listen, Christians should never live under the circumstances. We should never live under them. By God's grace and for His glory, we must live above our circumstances. See, because God has provided everything we need to cope with this life, to live in peace and harmony, even when life is not so harmonious and not so peaceful. He's given us everything in this life to be strong in faith, even when we feel so weak. God's given us everything we need to live above our circumstances. Look, you don't have to, church, listen, you do not have to stay defeated. Quit living defeated. You're victorious through Christ. You don't have to keep living defeated. You don't have to stay frustrated. Life is challenging. It's frustrating. I get it. But we don't have to live that way. We can live above our frustration. You don't have to stay in a job situation that continually leaves you frustrated and angry. You can trust God to provide something else. You don't have to watch the enemy defeat and destroy your marriage and your family. You can choose to live above circumstances, to trust God, to faithfully walk with Him, and watch how God directs your life. Look, love motivates us to live above our circumstances. Number four, love motivates us to live sacrificially. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, back in Acts, Paul says this. He says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want you to listen. We just had a missionary in last week. And I want you to listen to what missionary James Calvert, he was a missionary to the cannibals of, of, of Fiji, of the Fiji Islands. And as he was going to the islands, listen to what he said. The captain of the ship looks at him and says, you will lose your life if you go among such savages. Calvert replied, listen to this. He said, I died before I came here. I died before I came here. His life was of no value to him except for the gospel of the grace of God. Paul often said, I die daily. I wonder, how do we consider our lives not dear unto ourselves? How do we consider our lives, how do we consider ourselves dead to the old man and alive? to the, How do we die daily? Just a few things quickly. We serve. 
We pour our lives out for other people. We dedicate our time to others. We find our gifting where God has gifted us and we engage it in the ministry to make disciples and to impact lives for eternity. We make time for evangelism and seeking, seeking out people who need the hope of Christ. We make time to share Jesus with people. Matthew 10, 39 says, He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost, lost his life for my sake shall find it. Can I ask you tonight, have you lost your life? Like this missionary, James Calvert, have you already died? Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, he said, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you walk into our church out here in the foyer, you will notice our church logo, and then you'll notice on the right as you walk in, words that aren't there by accident, but it's love God and love others. Love God at the top, love others at the bottom. Those words are a constant reminder from the Scriptures to live sacrificially, to allow love to motivate us to live sacrificially. The religious leaders sought to trap Christ, asking Him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Y'all remember that? And Jesus' reply said, He said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. What did he say? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, religion is about position and authority. See, religion is about sitting in the best place, having the best and nicest stuff, being first in line, being noticed by the crowds. That was the Pharisees. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 9, 35, sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Love motivates us to live sacrificially. And then the last thing tonight is this, and quickly, love motivates us to finish well. To finish well. And the last part of verse 24, notice what he said. He said, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul, even though his life was difficult and he faced challenges on every side, he surrendered daily to accomplish the will of God and to finish the course that God had given him with joy of the Holy Spirit. See, living in the will of God is the only thing that can bring you or me true and lasting joy in this life. Go with me quickly to Matthew 21. I want us to see this quickly before we close. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And I want you to look at verses 28 through 32. Matthew 21, 28 through 32. It says this, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. How many? Let's just stop here and say this. How many understand Jesus was not concerned with perceptions of people or offending anybody? He just shot straight with people. How many agree in 2024, we need more of that today? 
We need more of this straight shooting today. Jesus just flat out tells them the truth. Verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards, so as to believe him. Here are two conclusions as we think about love motivates us to finish well. Here's the motivations. It is what you do that counts. It is not what you do that counts. Or rather, it's what you do that counts, not necessarily what you say. How many agree that our actions should always back up what we say with our mouths? And there's a lot of people, especially in our area of the world, who profess one thing, but their life says another. It's what you do that counts, not necessarily what you say. The gospel motivates you and I to do something. To do something. We see that all throughout the gospels. Matthew 23 says this, And then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. They didn't practice what they preached. The second observation is this. Look, it's not what you do that counts. It's what you do that counts, not necessarily what you say. But the second thing is this. It's how you finish, not how you start. It's how you finish, not how you start. In Matthew 24, Jesus said these words, but he that endures until the end will be saved. He that endures until the end will be saved. See, there are many who start out well but don't endure. There are many who are motivated and say, and they know how to talk the talk, so to speak, but they do not walk the walk. I read the story of a little boy who went to a concert to hear a great piano player. As the concert had filled up, the boy got a little impatient. So this little fellow, reminds me of Tyler, jumps on the stage and begins playing the piano. He was playing chopsticks on this grand piano. People started yelling and screaming, trying to get the little boy off the stage. And this whole process, the concert pianist backstage heard what was going on, proceeds to go out on the stage, and he joined the boy and started playing with him on the piano. As he played, he whispered in this little boy's ear, he said, look, keep going. You're doing a great job. Keep going. You're doing great. So this, of course, silenced the crowd. See, God in this grand, this this stage of life that we are in, He's the master, we know that. He is in control. However, He comes alongside of us as even maybe the crowds are, are, are shouting for us to stop and encourages us to keep on, to keep on, to finish well. William Culbertson, he said this, It is important to start right. But it is imperative to end well. J. Stowell Moody observed the Greeks, and listen to this, the Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for Jesus. See, love motivates us to obey to trust in the Lord, to live above our circumstances, to live sacrificially, and to finish well. So the question as we finish tonight, does the love of Christ, is it the motivating factor of everything you do in life? Is it the driving force of all you do spiritually? What risk do you need to take for the sake of the gospel? What risk is it that you need to take? Is it loving someone who's unlovable? Maybe nobody likes them. Is it forgiving that person that 
you're holding a grudge against, and it's going to be risky. It's going to be risky to reach out to this person and offer forgiveness. Maybe it's seeking forgiveness from someone you know, you know that you've hurt. That's risky as well. Is it witnessing to that friend who may not want to hang out anymore if you talk about Jesus with them? What is the risk you need to take? Look, there's great reward and blessing on the other side of the risk. May God help us to be a church full of risk takers that are motivated by the love of Christ. Let's stand together for prayer. Lord, I thank you tonight for the challenge from your word. Uh, Lord, for these few verses that just um, share with us what an example Paul was. But God, he was that example because of the work he did in his life. And God, I want, I can speak for me personally, I want my life to be that of Paul, Lord, and not motivated by anything else in this life other than your love for me and my love for you. God, your word tells us we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, God, for loving us. And God, I pray that like the Apostle Paul, we can say that we do not consider our lives of any account or dear to ourselves, so that we can finish our course and the ministry which we have received from you to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. God, I pray tonight that would be our prayer. I pray that we would live above our circumstances, that we would take risk for the sake of of the gospel, that we would live obediently, God, and sacrificially, and God, that we would finish well. Lord, there may be someone here tonight that is living and allowing shame and guilt to control them because of whatever they've done. God, I pray tonight they would understand that because of your grace and your mercy, that tonight they can start a new journey to finishing well. God, we love you tonight. We thank you for Jesus. I'm going to ask Brother Ken Sherrill to close us in prayer tonight.